0: Jesus uttered these words 2,000 years ago.
1: How are they gonna beat ISIS? I don't think it's gonna happen. But but he has these bizarre ideas about what Christianity stands for and what it means. Atomic bombs
0: and the second coming of Jesus Christ.
1: And when he does, you will no longer be a homosexual, but you will be a heterosexual. And that's what it means to be white. To say that you're standing on your own ground and standing on somebody else's and then mystify the whole process. This is Profane Faith, a podcast that engages faith on the margins, faith that has been labeled profane, nonconformist, and or out there. We'll be exploring the intersections of the sacred, secular, and profane to find God. We won't be trying to answer difficult questions. Rather, we'll be engaging them and asking better ones regarding faith, race, gender, and religion. I'm your host, Daniel White-Hodge. Hey, 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 folks, Profane Faithers, back in and at it, here on Profane Faith, it's your boy, Dan Hodge Dr. Daniel Hodge back in the place, woo, dogs, y'all miss me? Oh, y'all miss me? Oh my goodness, I bet y'all miss me, y'all miss me in your cars, in your headphones, maybe you working out right now, I don't know, uh, <laughs> but uh, hey, we back. We back. Although, if you, you know, listening to this, um, not in real time and in, uh, you know, maybe you listen to this like years from now, you know, you probably just went from one episode to the next and you're like, what? What? What's going on here? But, anyways, if you are listening in real time, you know, we took a little bit of a break, um, just with the uh, holidays and then just myself as an educator getting back into the semester and, um, yeah, just getting back into things and I was like, you know what? Profane faith needs to start up again. Shoot, there's too much crazy shit going on out there, man. This is this is some this is some crazy times, y'all. This oh my gosh this is uh there's some crazy stuff and i'm so excited to uh as we're looking at the second half of season four here for profane faith i got some amazing folks lined up and um we're gonna be touching on some you know some third rail issues here um particularly with the whole palestine and israeli uh conflict uh something that i know for me in my own self i haven't uh dug into mainly because not because I was shy of the the quote unquote controversy but just mainly because I haven't been educated enough on that particular subject to really be able to speak into it and so uh, I've got some folks coming up here in a few weeks and we're going to be diving right into that we're going to be getting into it because yeah it's about that time and uh, here we are 2020 brand new year uh, election year of course you know your boy Trump was found um, not guilty (laughs) <laughs> you know, but we knew that we knew we knew that was going to happen. We knew that was going to happen with uh, that uh, whole impeachment trial. Um, crazy times, y'all, man. This is uh, ah, I, I mean, I can't even get my head around. There's so many things that's going on. I was just sitting here thinking, like, man, I miss talking with y'all. Um, <laughs> even though I guess it's more of a monologue, but I just enjoy, you know, getting some of my thoughts out in regards to faith and religion and and whatnot and. I missed I missed that and I was like man it's time like I said it's time to get back get back at it and get back in the uh, in the swing of things and like I said we got some amazing guests uh season uh, season 4 is is still heading heading strong uh still continuing with our theme uh, a theology of hopelessness and um you know looking at what that means across you know different environments and what that and how that engages and, and, and where people do find hope right i mean there's not like everybody's hopeless but like where do we find hope um, you know, I am hoping that, uh, this November, this election that, you know, Trump is out of office, but, um, I don't believe he is. And irregardless, even if he was out, that doesn't take away the ideology and the worldviews and just the, the, um, the shift, if you will, the crack in the, in the crust that has been happening, uh, since he took office. Um, and really way before that, I mean, we all know that, especially if you black, you already know that, but, um, you know, I, I'm hopeful that uh, there are some decent candidates, but you know, at the end of the day, I think Trump embodies three of the things that we love to hate, right? Um, he's a celebrity. Um, you know, he's got money, right? And so that's like the number one thing the celebrityism, this love of celebrityism. And um, that, you know, no matter where you're at, no matter where you go, you know, there's always a celebrity culture, whether it's in Christianity, whether it's in ministry, whether it's in the academia, uh, whether in the higher ed. Right. Whether you are uh, working in Hollywood. Right. That celebrityism. That is big. That is big. And, you and you know, you you might hate it, but you let somebody famous uh, walk through the or who you define as famous walk through the door and you see how things get changed. Right. And then, of course, the second one, of course, is money, man. We worship money. That's how I tell everybody, you know, that uh, we we go to that that uh, that takes my classes. I, you know, the church we all go to is money. It's economics. We can talk a great game, but at the end of the day, who's 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 keeping the lights on? You know, uh, I'm recording this right now through something, through some corporation, right? Uh, through some mixer, so somebody, you know, it's like, was all that clean money? It was the people had the best intent? So money, we we love and hate it, right? And then the, lastly, the third one really is drama. Baby mama drama. Not even baby mama drama, but just drama in general. We love the funk. We love it. We're we a very voyeuristic uh, culture, right, in, here in the United States. We love watching these reality shows, even though we know they're fake. We loved it we, even when WWF was before WWE, right? We loved all that stuff. And Trump embodies that. He embodies that sense of... of um, of drama he's there's this he's always got something going on always and remember there's something psychological about being in the newsfeed every day being dominant in the newsfeed. you have to remember he holds news press conferences on twitter when in the hell in our history has that ever happened all right so he's taken the office of the presidency and just and, and made it into his own world that is something right. Well, really only, you know, a white male could do. But that is something that, um, you know, most other most of the people just couldn't do. I mean, think about the power that, you know, that he exudes in that position. Right. Because we don't like to convict our celebrities. We just don't. We know that. We don't like them. We don't we don't like to, right? And you know, all the way whether you agree or not with OJ, whether you agree or not with Michael Jackson, whether you agree or not with any of these other celebrities that have been put on trial, we don't like to put our celebrities on trial. Ultimately, we we love to forgive them. Um, and, um, not, not necessarily all of them. And I think there's, there's exceptions, right? It's like, okay, you got Bill Cosby and of course you got Weinstein and whatnot. Uh, those convictions, you know, duly, duly apt. And that's a whole nother two conversations in and of themselves. But my point being is that we love, you know, we people and people with money know how to work the system, you know, and I have yet to see a Democrat who is actually, um, they're still trying to be logical. Right. And I can't stand debates. I can't stand any of them. I don't watch them. Um, I think they're just a rhetorical farce. And they, they 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 all we're shooting for is sound bites. I don't know what you stand on. I need to know what you've been doing for the last 25 years. God damn it. What have you done for black people? What have you done for POCs? What have you done for trans LGBTQ folks? Not now. Everybody want to get holy. It's like looking at the candidates now It's like you're going on a first date. Everybody holy on a first date. Everybody's clean on a first date. Right. You know, you've holding your thoughts in. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's like an interview, right? Everybody's, you know, clean on an interview. Nobody comes in and says, man, you know what? In two years, I'm going to be embezzled. I love to take, take money. I like to lie and cheat. No one says that. Shit. So I don't I don't like the debates, but none of them. I ain't seen none of them really stand on that. And really, really where we're at as a society right now, and I really do hope I'm wrong, but really where we're at is it, it would take somebody like an Oprah to beat a Trump. Uh-huh. Yeah because she embodies all those things, right? She embodies all those things, celebrity, money, the drama. And so, you know, those are some of the areas that I think, you know, and I'll I'll expand some more on that. Those are the three main ones. There's others areas that we get into. I mean, um, when you think about just the, the, the power of routine, the power of branding. Uh, Trump has branded himself that way. Trump is everywhere. We even use Trump in a, in, in statements, right? We use that in, in statements and like, oh man, that that trumps this and that trumps that. Think about that. Yeah, yeah. So all that to say, uh, I hope I'm wrong. I hope somebody good, you know, uh, wins in 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 November. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. We do have a lot of time between now and then, and uh, keep my fingers crossed. Now. In other news, what the hell's going on with your girl um Paula White? What what what, what y'all do? What, what what I mean be, be gone for uh, a couple months and, and, and what the hell's going on with her? Did y'all hear this? Check this out.
2: God walks on White House grounds. I had every right and authority to declare the White House as holy ground because I was standing there and where I stand is holy. To say no to President Trump would be saying no to God, and, therefore, and I won't do
1: that. We are in a spiritual war right now. Let every demonic
0: network
2: that has aligned itself against the purpose, against the calling of President Trump, let it be broken, let it be torn down in the name of Jesus. You know, want me to tell you what my thoughts are? The thoughts of the King of Kings, the thoughts of the Lord of Lords. I'm downloading heaven. <laughs>
1: oh man what the hell y'all that's some crazy shit right there um you gotta remember um this is also you know his spiritual advisor this is this is and remember remember trump is filled with is is filled with like conspiracy theories and all that stuff um this is why i don't think enough of us really know how deep and and messed up we are right now um uh and sometimes it's difficult for me just to kind of just sit back because i'm like man i'm adding some of this stuff up and i'm like whoa um this is this is some serious shit man um so uh whoa right <laughs> so i don't know y'all i i sit back sometimes and i'm just like man this we we in some we in some crazy times we in some crazy times and It's it's very it's very easy. And again, I don't want to necessarily lose hope, but um, I think Diana Butler Bass, those of you know, you know who follow her. She said it best on Twitter. She tweeted this uh, the other day. She said not to worry anyone, but Trump's religious advisors are mostly faith healer type evangelical Pentecostals. This means a few things. One, they believe that illness is primarily a result of a spiritual factor or God's punishment. Uh, Two, because illness is a spiritual thing, it means that those who are more faithful uh, can and should expect God to heal them and protect them and them only Three, people like Paula White are probably telling Trump right now that he will be safe because of God's protection But God will smite his enemies Huh? Yo, you know this shit is going down and she goes on to to uh, to tell you some stuff. In fact, I'll just I'll link this tweet in the uh, you can check it out for yourselves um, and also the video. Like I said, the video um, that I that I was playing from, you know, it came from uh, now this news and and whatnot. So I'll put those in the link in the show notes as well. But, you know, this this these have major implications, y'all. This isn't just like you know, once upon a time Paula White. We could just kind of laugh at her because it was like she was on the margins. But now all that stuff that was once in the margins is now in the center. This is now in in inside making policies based off of this crap. Um, and it's I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, I, I uh, I struggle. I struggle with you know not becoming a black prepper. Um, and I think about that a lot You know, cause I'm just like We got some shit coming down the road here And we already know, right, when in an, when an emergency happens uh, When you think about Katrina Even just Houston, uh, Puerto Rico Right, if, if ethnic minorities are involved, Especially black and brown folk uh, We gonna get left out um, You know, you let the electricity go off for three or four days um, So, this is the type of stuff Right, you know, especially with the whole coronavirus And, and whatnot, it, you know and That's again, this, these are the things that are going down i believe and you know this shit is for real um it's in the water it's in the water so you know here we are profane faith having a conversation around faith and religion and all that good stuff um i think sister diana was 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 right on with that one that one that one right there that one got me i read that whole thing i was like wow this is this is deep um yeah uh, yeah anyways I mean it's interesting of course the you know the, the comments that that follow that uh, and whatnot but uh yeah you know here we are here we are face to face a couple of silver spoons yeah <laughs> so nevertheless we are back here it is season four and I'm excited to be back with y'all um today's guest oh she's back. Highly downloaded from season one, the great mind of Brandy Miller. Um, I've had a lot of people reach out and say, "Man, we've used that episode for class. We've used that in the devotional that we were having for a church or some kind of training." And I just love Brandy. She is great. And we it took us a minute to kind of connect. We finally did, and we had a chance to sit down and talk a little bit about just uh, a lot. We covered a lot of ground. It's hard to even pinpoint uh, what it is, you know, that you know there wasn't just one thing. And this is a rich conversation and something that I was really looking forward to to doing and just chopping it up with her because she's such a great mind. If you don't know who she is, again, go you'll learn if you just listen and then go follow her um, and and read some of her stuff. Again, this will be in the show notes. And as you always know, the show notes are always at WhiteHodgePodcast.com. And if you have been noticing, uh, I did recently update my WhiteHodge.com. That's my main website. I recently updated that that. And uh, so you can, you know, go check it out You know, got some uh, some sample chapters there From each of my books And uh, some sample essays All that good stuff, some audio uh, Yeah, go check it out, whitehodge.com And then for the podcast, of course, whitehodgepodcast.com uh, Click on profane Faith And the latest episode will pop up And there you go, bam, there's your show notes You can click on these links um, But I've had Brandy on the show before I'll put that also in the show notes As well, her uh, episode back In season one Uh, Back when I was first getting started She's a campus minister Um Justice program director. She's been advocating for the dignity of all black lives. She blogs about race and faith. She is an amazing thinker. And I just like, I got to get you back on, Brandy. And she was like, yes, indeed, let's do this. And I was so thankful uh, for that. So you about to hear this conversation, uh, you know, in regards to all the things that are going on right now. So season four is back at it, y'all. Thank you so much. Subscribe, like, tell your friends about Profane Faith. I thank you so much for the love um, I am excited that this podcast is still happening. And as long as I can, I'm going to continue to put it out um, and continue to, you know, push forward. Right. As they as they say. <laughs> so and also, oh, I think uh, was it iTunes, too. I want to let you know if you have a smart speaker. I don't know why you, if you do. But if you do, <laughs> um, you know, you can just tell it, hey, play Profane Faith podcast and it'll pull it up. Cool. Cool. All right, y'all. Check it out. Brandy and I. Well, Brandy, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, and coming back to Profane Faith. Thanks, good to have you.
2: Yeah, glad to be here.
1: Your uh, episode still remains a a key in uh, in just uh, people connecting with the podcast, and I've had different professors use it as uh, as a means in their their own development in terms of their class and. So it's, it, I was like, I got to get Brandy back on, man. This is, this, she's, she's throwing down.
2: Yeah. I feel uh, very humbled by that and a little surprised. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that, I think that's the good part, right? I mean, it's like, you know, it's, as opposed to uh, our, uh, our a-hole-in-chief that we have now that's sitting in the uh, White House. Um, well, and for those of you listening, I will post a link to Brandy's first uh, podcast here, uh, the uh, first talk that we had back in Profane Fair. It was back in season one, just getting going. And so um, I'll post those links, and so y'all can get to know her and her background from that one. I'd love to hop right in. What um, did you Now, you now you were saying you were on sabbatical. Are you currently on sabbatical? Or are you you coming out of that?
2: Yeah. You know, I took a little, a little time off. I had done a bunch of straight, like five straight summers or four straight summers doing summer programs with students and kind of took me out. And so I've yeah. had a little bit of time off um, to kind of refocus and rest. And so I'm coming out of that here in like a week.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. All right. And first off, I mean, have, what have, what have you been reading? How you've been tracking with just what's happening in our, our, our lovely country.
2: So I've, you know, I've been keeping up on it. So I feel like that maybe wasn't my best sabbatical idea. You know, the world would have happened without me and I could have read a recap at the end. Um, <laughs> but it has been a big part of my time has been, yeah, stepping away. And honestly, it has felt like letting the work that I've been doing the last five years help me interpret what the hell is going on right now. Mm. Um And so, you know, I've mostly in this season of time been like sleeping and playing goofy video games and making food I really like and like doing, doing stuff that I just didn't know that I just like forgot that I enjoyed. All the while observing and trying to engage even lightly with the kids yo homie i don't understand how this (laughs) i just feel like white supremacy and violence is doing exactly its job in a way that i've never seen before yeah and i've never seen the machine work so well
1: you know it's interesting you say that i i um i read a tweet oh was it a tweet or was it i forget where it was on social media i was was scrolling through and it said to the extent that you know, the other side, white supremacy, and they were talking about, I forget which country it was that was organizing, you know, around some of these same ideas and notions that uh, Trump puts out and just kind of where we're at with nationalism and hatred towards, you know, many groups that are, not you know, part of the, the, uh, you know, those in power, the status quo and stuff, and it said that, you know, they organize and they continue to do things uh, very well and very efficiently. Uh, So it's interesting that you say that because I... I do find that. And I, I mean, that's, that's a good, I think, starting off point, just like how have you, how have you seen, and, and well in, in true confession, I, you know, I, I, I have struggled with what is the relevance of mainly the work that I have done, you know, in over the kind of the last 20 years in higher education. Um, that's also included time working for a ministry organization, several ministry organizations, um, and so I'm, I'm I'm looking at that and, and asking myself um, what has changed, you know, was being having been a part of the, the 92 uprisings in Los Angeles and some of the work that we did there to, to, to reclaim the community and to reestablish that. I'm like, I feel like we didn't even progress from that. Like yeah. we're still dealing with some of the same things. It's like I listened to old political tapes of uh, Clinton and there's, it's like, it's like the same tape being, you know, stuff's being said like, Oh, we need to get jobs in the community. And we need to you know, uh, stop the violence. And I'm like, yeah, but the violence is even more now. So I'm curious how you stay afresh. I mean, you got the sabbatical. That's great. How you stay afresh and how you stay What do you, what do you got looking forward or not? I mean, I don't know. I'm just being, like I said, I'm just being transparent because I don't some days I don't even have that much hope.
2: Yeah. And I think for me, this has been one of the more, it's a confusing time for me because it has been one of the more politically hopeless. Um, And I'm not as connected to my students who are these people who on a day to day basis were giving me hope that things could be different. Um, But I think like my main hope, and this is like so morbid is that like, is that empires that rise up quickly with charismatic dysfunctional leaders have no historical longevity? Okay. Um I just I've been I think a lot, you know, I think a lot about Rome. Like I think progressives loves to love to use Rome as like Jesus was anti empire. I'm like, Yeah, that's totally true, but you if you do that, you ignore the rest of the Bible. That's entirely a critique of empire. And so I don't know. I just think it's a a lazy theological way to make a point okay um that might be a personal call out to some people (laughs) (laughs) but like honestly the main person that i'm thinking about right now uh is nebuchadnezzar okay Uh, because right nebuchadnezzar he he his father takes over assyria he builds an empire for his son that his son uses like the wealth and power from to take over Um, And so I think when I see 45 and his family and the way that he acquired his money, it's not an unsimilar story. Uh, And right, he builds an empire for his son. His son takes over his empire, builds this kind of worship situation around it that then requires faithful people to be faithful, to, to do things that would risk their lives for the sake of the common good or for the sake of not capitulating to empire. And so, one of the things that I'm that I, you know, I'm I'm still figuring out in this new season of life what prayer is for me. But when people are like pray for the president, I'm like, you know what, I'll do that. But I'm gonna pray for a Nebuchadnezzar moment because at the end of his story, right, I think I think it's in Jeremiah is at the end of it, where Nebuchadnezzar is found, like having to answer for himself, like kind of gun nuts eating grass like a cow right. out in the fields, you know right and so i'm kind of just hoping that this senate trial ends up being that moment like where when 45 has to speak for himself he reveals like who he really is and that people would have a moment of waking up um uh, which is it's just hard i I don't know did you watch wonder woman
1: yeah uh, well which one i mean the the television series or the, no, the movie the movie that came out just a few years ago yeah oh yes
2: okay because there's that moment there's that moment where like all of the people are taken over by like violent like this this um desire for violence mm-hmm. or evil and at the very end when the person like the i can't remember what his name is i'm so, sorry to all my comic book nerds um <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all good. i was like i'm very black in this black in this way and i'm a black nerd in different ways but not this one um <laughs> and, but but the the antagonist dies and then all of a sudden everyone kind of snaps out of it. And you see them like looking around slowly being like, what the hell has happened? Mm -hmm. And I I want that kind of moment for evangelicals. I want folks to, to have a moment where they wake up um, and go, yo, this isn't what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't know that I have like a lot of widespread hope, but I do, I do know that I, you know, I voted for John McCain and Sarah Palin in 2008, like, I didn't vote for Barack Obama. Like I was Tea Party conservative. I was like a Fox News teleprompter, and if I can change, then I believe that those kind of moments of waking up can happen for other people too. Because if I don't believe that, then I dishonor my own story and the story of a lot of my people. You know, mm.
1: that's deep. I mean, and, and I mean, I'm curious. I mean, you, know, we, you shared a little bit about that before, and I mean, I'm curious. Like, what were some of the mechanics and and really the the nitty gritty that that got into you be coming to where you're at now i mean 2008 it's not that long ago i mean and here we are you know entering a new decade and, and whatnot so what, what were some of the things the conversations you know did somebody hand you a track you know all that, all that yeah. good stuff
2: yeah no i think i learned my white supremacy and i white supremacy ideology at the same time i learned about jesus so um a track wouldn't have helped that one um at all <laughs> <laughs> but but really what it yeah it was and this is the hard part about it in a world that's so polarized. Mm-hmm. Um, I was reading some data and working with this like data Institute and in 51 years of data, this is the most politically and socially polarized class. These are the most polarized classes of college students that we've seen in 51 years of data. So maybe mm-hmm. ever, like it's the most polarized that it's been okay um, in, you know, generation in the generation. And so, or two, I guess, um, and for me, like, honestly, it was just being around people who were different from me and building genuine friendships with people who, yeah, who didn't share the same ideas that I did. And I, I hate it because, you know, like most of my work is like, do systemic change for the sake of common good, anti-racist ideology and praxis are the things that I'm most into. But the thing that actually changed me, wasn't a systemic change. It was friendship. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think it's like a very, um common story like hey i didn't know what i didn't know and then someone who i cared about helped me to understand um and so i think i'm trying to figure out what's the interplay of the systemic and in the individual and how does the systemic allow us to have resources and capacity to do the individual and to do the work of pulling people out of poverty and oppression mm. or also pulling people ideologically along who aren't doing that work yet and inviting them in um, so I think friendship was a big part. And then the other part was just learning that what I thought I knew about scripture wasn't actually historically accurate, contextually responsible um, or liberating anybody's life in any way. Um, <laughs> I could, I could quote a lot of Bible. I could make a point. I had read every apologetics book that, you know, a teenager in the early two thousands would have been required to read in a youth group. <laughs> like there you go. I, I did all of that. Um, and it taught me to love the idea of God and the stability of God and the hypothetical salvation of God in the way that people were describing it. And this is like this afterlife thing. It's always later, but my, my faith had no implications for people's day-to-day lives in the present. And the group of people I hung out with were so liberal in my mind that they Mm -hmm. had like lost the gospel. But then I realized that their liberal gospel was doing far more than my hyper-conservative one had ever done. Um, I had shared faith with a lot of people i had sat with a lot of people in pain but i didn't make the poor's life any better like mm. i didn't make people around these lives any better and so i had settled for a gospel that was lacking in all integrity it said that it was good news while not being good news to anybody except for myself and my tiny little group of people around me that believed the same things i did
1: hmm that's a man. That's 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 deep. This is something that uh, my wife, Emily, and I were talking about just uh, just yesterday and just in some of this is, you know, thinking about Christmas and Christmas past, although this Christmas for us was probably one of the better ones um, and mainly very similar to what you're talking about. It's like, you know, we just don't we signed off years ago, not going to family. Uh, If they want to come here to us, that's fine. Uh, You know, home, uh, home field advantage or home court advantage, however you want to look at it. Um, But uh, yeah, I've, you know, it just, but that's been, that's what comes up, right. It's like, you know, the, keep the Christ in Christmas and mm-hmm. you know, it's not happy holidays. It's Merry Christmas. I mean, so some of those things and then, you know, to get even further, right. It's like, Oh, the debor- the abortion debate and, um, uh, same sex marriage and, and whatnot. Um, tend to have that, um, uh, last night, Uh, I, for whatever reason, I, it was, I was flipping through the channels and I found it it was the Jimmy Swagger channel. I don't know what, I don't know, well, what, what it was called, but it was just, and I found it fascinating listening to him and watching him. I mean, after all these years, after all the stuff, this man still has a televangelist space
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and I'm like, that that just kind of confounded me just for a second right given all the stuff that's happened with him and 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 granted there was like two camera angles and that was it because i mean there's his church is dang near empty i mean and every 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 shot they had of the audience was people probably well into their 60s if not 70s and whatnot so i get that but i'm just like but still i'm like man like what the funding for all of this stuff like like where where did you wait a minute how did you get that and i'm like I guess I'm asking the question then, like for you, like how, what are you, what are your, what are some of the survival then techniques for you now in, in 2019? And again, it's sabbatical that I'm, I'm glad you're taking that. I, in fact, I need to do that. I haven't done that in years. So that's, those are good mm-hmm. things. I'm just, but what are some of the survival techniques given social media? Um, I, you know, I see people who get into heated debates on social media and then, you know, you see a few months later, be like, Oh man, I'm taking some time off social media and I don't know why I was doing that. So, mm-hmm uh i don't know I, if, if that makes sense that was kind of a long-winded kind of way to asking that and whatnot
2: yeah. uh you know i'm prioritizing sleep a lot these days mm-hmm. um like because i just feel like a lot of us who are trying to do work and trying to invest in people's lives especially in the lives of people who are like younger and have more energy than we do <laughs> um yeah. just don't sleep very much um and our brains and our bodies and our emotional worlds cannot function without sleep. And so for me, it's like, especially, especially if, you know, forgive me for being very, very Christian in the ways that I am in this way, Like, but when I look at scripture and the many calls to rest, like right, we're supposed to rest a day a week on the Sabbath and we're supposed to do that communally, yeah. a year every seven, and then like a big chunk of time, you know, like for Jubilee to like reset everything structurally and to do rest as a community. Um, And when you do the math of like time that we're supposed to be resting, if you add in like scriptures, festivals and all of those things like parties and things, we're supposed to be resting like 30% of our lives. And I don't know anyone in our world who lives that way. Um, And I'm not saying I'm trying to be out here like resting 30% of my life because I just don't, I'm not quite there yet. But that's, I, I just feel like it's such a basic thing that I need to learn to do. Um, more and more and so I've been prioritizing it in this season and it's been really good for me because when I started this season I was too tired to pray like I like I was praying liturgy books because I couldn't find my own words to pray Mm. and I was like yo if this is where I'm at like where I can't even talk to God about how I don't want to talk to God right now like I gotta change something yeah and so I was like drinking a gallon of water a day and sleeping a lot and like and letting myself feel things more fully. Yeah. Um, especially for black folk. Um, and I think for I think this is probably true for indigenous and Latinx folks as well. There's like not a lot of space for emotional outlets in the work, um, right? I think about like Dr. Shaniqua Walker-Barnes book, uh, Too Heavy, A Yoke" and thinking about the myth of the strong black woman and yeah. like the idea that we need to be strong all the time. And so some of what I've been doing as a survival mechanism is just letting myself cry um
0: like
2: Mm. um even when it doesn't feel like there's a good reason to just like letting myself have a healthy individual emotional outlet yeah um so there's been that um i also limit my the amount of time that i am on i've been limiting during the sabbatical season um how much time i've been on social media so i don't know how how many folks know but i just haven't been on twitter that much until the last couple of weeks and all of a sudden i came back very um in a very myself kind of way, but um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, just, you did. I just hadn't been saying much. I, I had been largely off of it. I'd been kind of observing, um, but I was just mostly off social media just for a time.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and that was not because I was like, oh, I'm so burned out on this and it's like hurting my soul or whatever. It was just like, I don't need to see Donald Trump's face in my, like on my timeline every day. If I want to learn about him, if I want to hear about what he's doing, if I want to hear about Christian nonsense, I want to choose to do that and not be inundated with it. And so I just exerted a little bit more control over how and when I saw things. Yeah. um, Which was helpful because then I didn't just spiral, you know? (laughs) Right. I I don't know if you do this, but I'll see something and then it'll send me into like a news spiral. Mm -hmm. And then an hour later, I'm like, why do I feel so upset about everything? Right. I don't know how to respond to it. And I don't even know what information of this that I read is real. It's just like.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's very easy. I mean, I think that's a really good point. Very easy to do that in <laughs> this yeah. given era that we uh, we live in um well I, I mean and and I mean you I mean you did speaking of tweets you talked a little bit about um Kwanzaa you know and you talked mm-hmm. a little bit about just how you know when you growing up it was you said I was taught even passively that to celebrate Kwanzaa a distinct non-religious celebration was to contribute to the war of Christmas or society's decent you know into secularism how is that factored in or or at all this particular season of christmas is seen
2: you know it's um one of my goals over the last few years is just to celebrate kwanzaa however i can you know i still live in the northwest Um, this is my first year living i moved to seattle recently and uh Ah. it's been great um it's it's been a really good life move for me and uh, so i'm around a lot more black and brown folks regularly um, but I'm in Portland area for the holidays, which is super, super, super white. <laughs> and so uh, I've been making, I've been making or kind of setting an intention to celebrate Kwanzaa or at least observe Kwanzaa in some way, whether it's personally or with others.
0: Okay.
2: Um, at the end of these last couple of years, uh, just even as a, like a, a small resistance in myself to the stuff that I learned and to like, to rooting out anti-Blackness that exists in me, even as a Black person. Um, and so I think that doing things like especially like a pacific northwest black person who grew up in a white family I have to be really intentional about unlearning anti-blackness um and the ways that I think I just passively participated in it by like not participating in kwanzaa or i don't I don't know a lot of the other ways but I've been working pretty hard at it for the last decade, (laughs) but (laughs) I think Kwanzaa feels like a really proactive and fun way to dismantle anti-blackness. That isn't like, let me rip up my entire ideology, have another argument with somebody, you know? (laughs) So I like Kwanzaa because it's a fun way to be pro-black.
1: (laughs) Yes. 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 Well, and, and so that I'm so that's, I'm curious then, and this is a question I've been trying to, you know, work through even, even myself. And as I own, you, you talk about deconstruction as my own about, you know, thinking through my own deconstruction of great commission, Missio Dei. I mean, once, once upon a time, you know, it's like, at least for me, I'm speaking for myself now. I mean, I was, you know, bought and sold right on the evangelical thought of like, okay, you know, mm-hmm. go into every nation, go into every, you know, space and whatnot. And so now, Again, given what we now know about colonialism and and just the the impact of Empire, you know, to to keep using that language, uh, you know, on seminaries, uh, you know, I'm sure as you do, I get a lot of the updates from, you know, a lot of Christian publishers, right? I get to still get the magazines Mm -hmm. or the emails. And what's funny to me in the publishing world is that – majority of the books on culture and and of course race and all that are by persons of color great mm-hmm. but still the hardcore theology is written by white cis men mm-hmm. maybe a woman here and there now but if you look up right now in any of the major christian publishers their you know hermeneutical series or their ecclesiology, any you're going to find mostly white men from white mm-hmm. seminaries those are the books right that are going out yeah. to teach people (laughs) right and so i'm i'm and it's great that we have you know books on all these things i mean i've written a few myself but those typically end up in um uh, you know, ancillary courses, right? Mm-hmm. They're not even courses that are required. Most mm-hmm. seminaries don't require or schools. And then I'm not talking about cl- places like Union or CTS yeah, or, McGar- sure. <laughs> or Garrett or something like McCormick. Uh, I'm talking about the majority of seminaries pu- pumping out, you know, people who, you know, chaplains, you know, just folks mm-hmm. who are out there, right, are still using a lot of these things. So I'm just curious, given what we know now, I mean, the Great Commission, when Jesus talks about, you know, going out into every nations, the ethnos and all that good stuff, what is that? I mean, I and, and I'm genuinely asking. Like, I'm I'm curious to know, like, re- really what you think. I and mean, this is not rhetorical. This is not debate. I'm I'm, not, I'm mm-hmm. genuinely like, what do you, I mean? How do you navigate some of those things? I'm assuming you still work for an outreach organization. I'm uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, okay. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm at a school that's very. Outreach-oriented, right? You know, Chicago is our classroom, yeah. though we're a majority um, white
2: and, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> like
1: five left black people on staff. But anyways, um, yeah, yikes. that, yes, all that. And in, in 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 light of the Missio Day, Great Commission, going out, I don't know, or even is that? And I guess I'm curious. I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah.
2: So, you know, what for the last eight years, I've worked for, for InterVarsity. Mm -hmm. Um, which, you know, most people are like, how do you do that still? But like, I I was introduced to Jesus in a profound way while being on staff. And I've recently transitioned from being on campus full time to just leading a summer. It it would be technically considered it's summer justice or missions program. Mm -hmm. And so I've been asking the same question, like, do I ethically believe that the work that I'm doing is okay and good? (laughs) Do I believe that it is, um, something i actually believe yeah (laughs) so i i feel you on the the question on that question but one of the things that i've been thinking about in that conversation a lot is i think my favorite person in scripture maybe we've talked about this before is john the baptizer uh right that dude has a mission he's given a mission by god and it is to make disciples of the king that will come it is to it's to, to prepare people to interact with God and to be able to receive the new world that God is bringing through a baby. Like it's, you know, or that God was bringing through through a baby 30 years prior to that. And so, but the first thing that John does is he doesn't say like, repent and give your life to Jesus. They don't even know who Jesus is, right? Yeah. He says, repent and be ready, be prepared. Um, And the way that he prepares people is by... Dealing with their exploitation of other people, uh, their financial greed, or having more than they need, or their excess,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and their violence, and and so I think what we get in the book of Luke, especially right, we have the Magnificat, we have all of these like humbled people, or hum yeah people like humble people who are saying the proud are going to be brought down, the people who you think are going to get it aren't going to get it, and the people who like don't you don't think are going to get it are the people who understand it. And it's the people with nothing that end up getting everything in Jesus's kingdom. Um, and so I think when mission looks like that, when mission looks like doing the practical work of dealing with exploitation, violence, um, and greed, and mm-hmm. then it and, and it does that in conjunction with spiritual renewal, um, and it's done communally, I like that kind of mission. Mm. Like, I like the kind of mission that is holistic, that brings the whole gospel of Jesus to the whole person and not just a spiritually ethereal message Mm. to a group of people who we think need to be more like us. Um, Because really that's what missions has become in the US is trying to make people locally and globally look more like us. um, And that they pay the spiritual cost of like they basically, they buy a spiritual ticket. Like I think it used to be that like you pray a sinner's prayer and it like gets you a ticket to heaven or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I think that I, but I think what I see more now is that you, you come and offer your ideological self or your worldview at the altar of megachurch or of evangelicalism.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And what you get in return is acceptance into the cult of like Christian ideology that says that it will protect you Um and that will because it's so politically entrenched right now. And so I think the, the trade-off is really different. Before it was like you had to give your clothing, your money, your stuff. You you know, you ask, you know do the Acts 2 church thing where people are praying together and eating together and doing mission by providing for people's needs and making sure there is no need among people. And instead now the church takes everything from people expecting allegiance in return and then has to theorize and theologize about why... People aren't blessed, or why suffering exists in the world, because it promises, like evangelicalism and and I think American Christianity, to be fair in general, promises far more than it can deliver, hmm. and and the trade off just isn't good, you know, especially for for marginalized people. So, sorry, that was a little convoluted, but
1: no, 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 I'm wrong I'm, I'm tracking.
2: Yeah, so I think that mission for me, if it is rooted in doing practical work with the people that you're around for their physical and spiritual liberation, that that is like, that is really good. But I actually don't think that that can be led right now by many white Christians, if any. Um, I think people are too entrenched in power structures. Yeah. Um, to be able to do that without um, exercising a colonizing bent Um, because right when I think about like the the great commission Jesus wasn't saying that to a nation he wasn't saying that to Rome he wasn't saying that to Israel he wasn't saying like hey Israel go make disciples of all nations he was saying it to a group of like crusty dudes who didn't know anything and who had all abandoned him like days before when he died and he says to them like this little group of guys and real I'm not even saying he says it's a group of people the women are the most faithful people in scripture so like I'm not going to do what the scripture does and exclude them from the commission that they're clearly called to be a part of. Um, But he says to them, like, go and make disciples like I have made you, which right, is this thing that he's modeled on the cross, this Mm -hmm. radically forgiving, co-suffering, enemy loving kind of way. And so I don't know know how we got missions as we have it because it don't make any sense. Like if that was who (laughs) Jesus called and what he asked them to do, we're doing some weird stuff with that that doesn't make any sense. It's not missions, it's colonization, like you said.
1: Yeah. I love that. That is, that's good. I'm, I'm tracking with that. I again mean, cause it's like, that's, I mean, it's, it's part of, you know, my own I'm trying to work through, you know, some of those, those things. And I'm trying to, you know, cause I'm in a spot now where it's like, all right, I've, I've almost thrown the baby out with the bathwater to use that, mm-hmm. to use that analogy. And so I'm trying to put the baby back in, but, but not with all of the water. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, um, I, I, I like that. I mean, cause, I think that's somebody was is one of my still very evangelical and, and, and fundamental friends was asking me the day. It's like you know how have you shared the gospel lately? And I'm like, well, let's see, I, I teach and I got a podcast and you know I've written a few things. No, but how do you personally speak to the person? I'm like, yeah. I, and then I, and I was just straight up. I was just like, I just I I don't. And there's still the residue, though, that in me, right? It's like growing up in a black Seventh-day Adventist environment, it was always about, you know, you got to tell that person on the street corner. And if you don't, it's on you if they go to hell like that. Mm -hmm. that You should have really shared the gospel with them. And I don't know. I mean, it's it's. And those are the things I'm, and again, I'm just sharing now my own yeah. th- thoughts on that. So I, I mean, I appreciate that, and I like that idea of community. I mean, how how have you found that in in an organization that you're in right now, in a varsity and um, uh, funding? I know we've talked about this a little bit before and whatnot. I mean, given you know <laughs> the amount of money that's out there, still mm-hmm. resides in 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 white conservative communities, and a lot of I mean, I talk with. I don't, are, you, are you familiar with uh, Ephraim Smith? Yeah, I am. he uh. So he and I talk a lot. We co-teach this demon program for Fuller and whatnot. And um, you know, one of the things he was saying that, that why he left uh, World Impact uh, was because of that. He was like, I just couldn't deal with funders that were perplexed as why I as to why I didn't vote for Trump or just you know, it's like just that. I understand, but yet they were right entrenched in the quote unquote urban multi-ethnic community but mm-hmm. the funding was still coming from a very paternalistic uh spot so how you I mean i'm again curious yeah. how you've navigated some of that and i'm asking a lot of these questions because as i look at my listenership a lot of folks are still navigating that right that daddy mm-hmm. e- those evangelical spaces and so uh one of the reasons why like i said i wanted to talk with you about this i'm like well, what is what is brandy thing what is what's going on with her? Because shoot you know She's, she's doing and grooving it over there. Shit. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You know, the funding stuff is interesting because I think, I think it's actually kind of miraculous that I remain funded in any way. uh, Because people who have listened to podcasts that I've been on or gone to things that I've spoken at who don't know me at all have intentionally reached out and given a lot of money to make up for what I've lost specifically because I have, been trying to work with black and queer folks specifically. Um, wow. so yeah, like I had a, a guy give like several hundred dollars a month to make up for a deficit that I had lost in the kind of Black Lives Matter start, the start of all of that. Yeah. And so I've had like very generous, specifically white folks give to the work that I'm doing. And I think most of the people who give to me right now, um, are white folks. And so it's, it's cool for me as a person who is funded to be able to go like, actually this is like a way that we're pursuing justice and liberation together and how we're engaging with all of that um, differently than we could have. And so the resources, I think with their, like with folks giving me resources regularly, they're participating in this work that they probably shouldn't do like uh, in person. so I, I don't know, I think I can see hope in that, but I think like brother Ephraim's was right. You got to jump through a lot of hoops um, and hear a lot of nonsense and have a lot of horrible conversations because people that give oftentimes don't want to give because they care about the the mission that the person they're giving to cares about. It's because mm-hmm. they want to control the missionary or the person who is the person who is a minister with their money um, and they expect that they're paying for a service and getting an output of souls saved or of ideology embedded and that's wild.
1: <laughs> yes yes oh my gosh um i if you remember i'm sure you do the you sent me a link uh, it was called white supremacy culture um it's a handout that mm-hmm. uh, i have used pretty regularly um currently i mean everything on that list right perfectionism sense of urgency defensiveness quantity over quality mm-hmm. right worship of the written word um my wife, she works HR. So it's like, there's, there's no more, right. Another place where it's like, you're, you're thinking about that written word. What did we say? What are the contracts? Although she works for an organization that is still trying to navigate, right. The, these areas and and trying to do it in a much more non-colonialistic way, which I it's I'm always blown away with how she does HR compared to the way the rest of the world uh, date does HR in connection with that but like i said the organizers i'm at connects with all of these right now and that's that's for me uh as an educator as somebody who's been taught oh academic freedom and you know teach young mm-hmm. people to think critically and um i had a couple of uh you know alt writers in my intercultural uh com class uh this this semester and, and whatnot Dang. and were like, you know, it, you know, we talked about Robin DiAngelo's work on, you know, white fragility and, you know, their pushback mm-hmm. was like, well, black people have white fr- white fragility too, just as much, if not even more than, uh, than white people. And, you know, it's because I try to ask, you know, black people like what their experiences and they don't want, they don't want to tell me, they don't want to tell me mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there like, okay, okay. Um, and so, you know, I presented this information and data and I mean, it was just, everything was just, you know, Met with, and of course, none of it really stood up, right? To to any actual empirical data. So because we were talking about this idea, notion of fear of open conflict and and individualism and whatnot. And so I'm saying all this to say, what gives you hope right now? When right right in the midst of all this, we you've mentioned a little bit about like what keeps you going and everything. But I'm curious, like what? As you're dealing with this, and 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 I and I know the last time we spoke, you talked about like you know being in your corner of the world, you know that it affords you to do some of the things, um, and that you speak evangelical fluently, and so I, I keep that in the back of my pocket. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Although this year, these 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 times and days and times, I'm especially as a full and tenured professor, I've I've lost some of my accent for evangelicalism <laughs> stuff. And so, um, what gives you hope? Um, and looking at this list, like, do you see anyone, where do you see some of this stuff being broken down? What is the antidote to this? Your own right to comfort objectivity process, progress is bigger and more. That's something that we're thinking about, right? Individualism. I don't know if that makes sense. That was, that was a long winded, again, another long winded, but you got me thinking Brandy. So this is, this is, uh, this is, again, this is why I wanted to talk with you, but if that makes, that doesn't make sense, I can clear that question up.
2: And I can I can just ask if I if I'm understanding, but it sounds like what you're saying is that the these there are these attributes of white supremacy culture that are deeply embedded and playing out in real time, and that like even as you look at your wife's job and your job and the work that I do, that it's like pretty easy to get um, pulled into those completely. And yeah. so, trying to find places of hope that counter that culture and offer a different alternative. Is that right?
1: Yeah. 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 And then, and then ultimately to to, to add a footnote to that, it's like ultimately what, what gives you hope? What keep, what keeps you going in the morning? What are the pragmatics of that?
2: Well, I think at an ideological level, I just don't believe that when Jesus says he wants to bring life and for people to have it abundantly, that he meant white supremacy, like, (laughs) like he didn't mean that. Right. And, and, but I do think that, like, it's really hard to believe that when our entire structure and our system is built on these attributes making you successful. So, right, like, if you don't live into these cultural ideologies, um, if you don't operate in a way that accepts defensiveness or right to comfort as a normal, um, you are inherently going against the thing that is socially and culturally the most successful. And so, I got to believe Jesus and believe that what Jesus said about what life in abundant life looks like, isn't that. Um, and so I think as I've done that, I've been able to see differently. Um, to me, it feels a little bit like when you learn a new word for the first time and then all of a sudden you hear that word everywhere and you're like, is mm. everyone just saying that more or am I just like privy to that? Um, <laughs> yeah. like I, just, like I just bought a car and I was like, Oh, everybody driving this car. Like I didn't, I didn't know. It's so
1: true. That's so true. <laughs> yep.
2: <laughs> and so and so, I think like I think redefining worldview is a lot like that it's we we learn and we recognize a different way of being um with the land with each other with the divine and then suddenly we see that that way of being is out there all over the place we just didn't know where to find it how to hear it like mm. or because we didn't know about it we didn't believe it was valid mm. um and so for me like learning from folks of color and marginalized communities queer folks Um, It just, it feels like it's really important to me um, that we do that because then we see hope and liberation because we've learned to see it, not because it wasn't there to begin with. Um, I think we assume Mm -hmm. that hope is something that we have to like conjure when I think actually hope is something that we find. That's good. Um, And so some of what I have been doing is just like talking with people in communities who are doing really good work. (laughs) Um, Like hearing local churches talking about how they're doing refugee care Uh, here in the Northwest or like looking at folks who are trying to foster and adopt kids out of the system. And I know those are like very, um, I say those ones because they're very um, evangelically accepted Mm -hmm. um, ways of doing justice But like, right. Doing work with refugees and doing work with Um, foster and adoption is inherently to do stuff against white supremacy because it's the structure that created the need for foster care and for refugees to be treated the way they are and the church need to step in in that way and so maybe it's a bait and like a justice bait and switch but like I'm like man when you're doing when you're helping resettle a refugee with your church you got to do some inner work like I don't know anyone who doesn't have their mind changed by that kind of thing. And so I think proximity matters a lot for me in deconstructing some of those things. Um, and I, I think it's a little hard for me to answer this because I know that I'm really privileged um, to be in the circles that I'm in. So like I can go hang out on the farm with like Dr. Randley, Randy Woodley and Edith Woodley and like learn about how to have a more liberative experience with the land and Mm. I can do that in ways that other people cannot yeah and so some of what I've been doing in my own work in so so like to be practical is helping people to have access to the things that I have access to
0: yeah
2: and so without without um traumatizing the people who are doing the teaching (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like homie I feel bad for you because I feel like it must be constantly traumatizing to work with some of the, in some of the contexts that you work in um, and have to answer um, kindly and respectfully for like to total nonsense that's being spouted in your classes and in your context. So I'm just aware that that's like a thing. Um, (laughs) But for like, but for me, right, getting to be friends with people like the Woodleys, um, every summer we drive my group of, you know, 15 to 30 students, out into the woods or out, you know, out into Oregon from Tacoma, Washington, you know, we drive six to six hours or whatever to, to hang out with them. And I make sure that I like, that I pay folk, that I pay the folks that I'm bringing my students to and that students that I prep students on how to be there well, and that we do manual labor and we trade instead of like just paying, like we trade labor for knowledge. And Mm. I'm like, oh, it is it is like so against a capitalist society to to barter and to trade in this way. Um and to do it not with money only, but to do it like they need a they need labor to work the farm and we need to learn what they have to offer from their lives and from their work. And so I've been trying to figure out like are there ways that we can counter capitalism or counter uh the need to elevate like one charismatic leader. Um, through the work that I'm doing, and through the money that I have access to through my organizations, so that kind of circle back to that. Like, I know working for a large evangelical nonprofit that I have access to resources that I can send the right direction. Yeah, that I can send to trans non-binary, Black-led food sovereignty organizations in the city. You know, like, what other Christians are giving to that? <laughs> yeah. Um, So I feel like I get to do some of the practical work of countering white supremacy by using the resources of the privileged institution that I'm a part of um, in a different kind of way.
1: Wow, that's that's encouraging. I mean, that's really encouraging. I and I and I know that that for me right now, you know, that's that's part of the the link and for a lot of us that, you know, particularly in, 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 in education, right, because it's easy to get siloed in what you do, right? you got your little area of research. You've got your department. You've got your, you know, whatever. And and, and then it's easy just to see, see the folks that you really connect with uh, once a year. You know, for me, it's academic mm-hmm. conferences. And so I see people once a year. But as a Enneagram 4, Wing 3, extrovert, it's like, God damn, that's just, that's just not enough. And so, you know, in trying to find – those spaces we recently just stopped going to church just because i was just like all right it's it's it was actually deteriorating our family unit my kid hates it come back more frustrated it was a 45 minute drive in uh and and, and, you know there and back and you know we're really not connected to anybody so it's just like that's just i think part of the frustration that we find ourselves in and just it was still dealing with you know a, a white supremacy culture, you know, in that church, even after tons and tons, you know, we will spend 12 weeks talking about race and this and white supremacy. And then we turn right back around and have a Bible study with nothing but white men in the readings. And I'm like, um, Oh wait, what? So it was like, all right, we out. Yeah, So, that's exhausting. so I, so I thank you. I appreciate that. That's if anything, I don't even know who's listening, but if anything, that was definitely encouraging uh, for me. So Thank you. That's, that's good. It's giving me plenty to think about with that. Um, all right, last question. I know time is nine and everything, but I'm curious and then you can just, you can tell me to to blow off on this one, but I got, but I got to ask, I mean, as, as a woman in this type of work, how, man, how do you deal with just the whole singleness dating, all that stuff? I mean, I, again, I don't want to get too deep and get all personal on you. I'm just curious how, and yeah. I'm I'm curious because this this has come up, and the reason I'm asking, particularly because a, even as I talk with some, and I won't mention any names, people who are like renowned speakers and all this stuff, even who are single, it it's still at a cord. I'm not saying this is you, but for them, there's still this kind of desire and want to be married and have that partnership, which I don't. I don't doubt. But I also ask the question as 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 a researcher, what is the social construct around that? Because I see a lot of young women, particularly at a private Christian school who are dipped and died in the notion, who think I'm coming to college to find my husband. But then a lot of them get educated, especially they come to my class. We're going to talk about patriarchy. We're going to talk about these systems. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, hell no, nah. I want to go out and I think I want to pursue a master's. I think I want to do mm-hmm. a PhD. And then it's like their world comes crashing in the mm-hmm. men they were they were with if they're cis uh hetero uh are like what the hell are you doing i thought you just wanted to be at home parents are tripping so i'm curious that's i asked that and then and, and then also the, on the flip side of it um i we just had another good friend tell us that they are getting a divorce mm-hmm. uh and that's probably maybe the 10th one that we've heard this year
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and there's Again, I don't want to say any names because my problem is I know I know too goddamn much, and so mm-hmm. of all the stuff, that's why I don't believe anything that, that people. oh, our life is so great. I'm like, yeah. uh, that, that's what you put on Instagram. It's too many goddamn mm-hmm. filters on that. So that's the context behind that that question. And again, you can just tell me, I oh, don't know, Dan, and I'd be cool with that. I ain't gonna, I ain't trip, but I just I wanted to ask that just from a like what. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> In that
2: yeah, yeah. Well, I got a lot of thoughts about it. I I'm trying to decide how um, anecdotal or how like actually data driven to be. Um, yeah, because the anecdotal stuff is kind kind of ridiculous. So uh, I'll just I'll be anecdotal for the sake of transparency here. Um, I I'll say something before I say that, but I feel bad for maybe myself and for everybody who's trying to date in 2019 mm. slash 2020 um because especially if you're christian um because like i think it, the most evangelical thing about me i think is that i want to date a christian like i want to date someone who i like who understands the values that i'm bringing in because it's such an in my life god forbid um and so hmm. but i think being like justice-oriented to justice Way that literally all I do is justice work, you know, like that's, yeah. that's my life. Um being uh relatively academic in the way that I think, uh having disconnect with my own family in a lot of ways. There's just a lot of ways where I'm like, how do you find somebody who doesn't make you feel like you like just are compromising everything for the sake of companionship? Hmm. Um And I think for me, what I see happening, and this isn't necessarily true for me, but I think most people, or not most people, but a lot of folks, and I think the Christian college displays this well, is that people either only know how to pursue what they've seen in the past, what they've been told in the past is the right thing to pursue, or they make a choice in some way, maybe not a conscious one, that they would rather be slightly unhappy than very lonely. Yeah. And... I think I've had to, in like being grown, choose to sit in loneliness and to know what that looks like and to to ask better questions about that. And then I think like if you bring like how Christians think about sex and all of that into it too, it gets like even more, it's like way more complicated. Oh, in, yeah. Like it's like just makes things like yeah way more confusing and dysfunctional to navigate. And so I just think that like when you give people, when when Christian, especially Christian um women um cis or not are like thinking about relationships it's like you have one really bad model of christians who either stay together because they feel like they have to or they get divorced and like rip their families apart
0: mm.
2: or loneliness on the other end and then there's like maybe one magical chance that they could have the thing that they think that their friends have on the internet um and i think that's really hard yeah like it's really hard to have Um, models that are inaccurate and then people strive for that model and then fail it and then feel all kinds of shame around their marriage failing when they never had a chance because the model that they were given was a lie to begin with so I think that that's pretty brutal like it's a pretty brutal way to start dating yeah Um, because you you go in and you can like have feelings or like really enjoy someone and then go like yeah but in like five years am I gonna think this person's like like just total nonsense or am I going to, you know, like what am I going to think about that?
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And how much of this is me liking this person and how much of this is me quelling loneliness and how much of this is me trying to replicate the dysfunction of my own family and how much of this is me trying to make an Instagram relationship, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And I, But I think like when you're feeling the thing, like when your hormones kick in, it's just like, no, I just like this person and I want to make it work. And you're like, no, literally that's not not what's happening. Like physiologically, that's not what's happening. Socially, that's not what's happening. Ideologically, that's not what's happening. Um, And so to me, it just feels like much more complicated than um, like just what do you want or what do you pursue? It's like, why do you want that? Why do you pursue that? And so I have to ask myself a lot of um, those questions. Um, But then, to um, be very specific, I think as a like young black woman who, like, I'm young black straight, and I don't want to date white men. Like, I I don't. But I think because of white supremacy, and I'm gonna be careful-ish about how I say this.
0: Okay.
2: um, Because I think the colloquial term is men are trash, Um, but that's not the one I'm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, what I think is, is that specifically for, um, black and like, I'll speak, I'll just speak for my own people. I think black men, because they are so, um, desired by whiteness as like exotic commodities Mm -hmm. do not have to work very hard to be good partners, um, because there are limitless options of people who will deal with their bullshit, um, relationally, Mm -hmm. um, and their, in their entitlement and their sexual dysfunction and prowess, um, because they are black. Um, and I think is the thing that is most privileged of for black men is the desirability by white supremacy culture to be partners. Um, mm. and so I just don't think that black men have to try very hard, um, and are easily fragile and deterred by people who are make more charismatic, stronger, smarter, anything like that. Yeah. And so I think for me, as I consider who I might want to date, as I'm like, yeah, I think I'd want to date Black men, you know, in whatever way, I'm like, I actually don't see a lot of hope that most Black men are doing the work that they need to do to be people who I would want to date. Mm. Ooh,
1: bringing it. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Oh, I I, that, I that couldn't agree more. I mean, because I think that that's... <sighs> yes I t- <laughs> yes to that and i'm not trying to lump all you know cis black men hetero men into one pile but again being a professor on a on a, on a campus that exoticizes black men particularly black athletes black male mm-hmm. athletes mm-hmm. they are exoticized and you're right you're absolutely right they don't have to work hard at all It's like you can stumble out of bed and it's like you stumble into something
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so you're right. They can just go on to the next and stuff. And then, like you said, the you know, the sexual dysfunction, I mean, all, all those things on all levels. I mean, whew, that is, I know we have time, but that is, Oh my gosh. All right, Brandy, you, I, I may have to get you back for part three on, 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 on sexuality and dating and all that stuff. But I appreciate you answering that. Cause that's, that's real stuff. And yeah, I mean, I, well, and again, I mean, I, I, it, somebody was like, Oh man, you guys have been married for, you know, 19 years. And I was like, yeah, yes." but we, yeah. we've had to do a lot of work and this yeah. for me is what keeps me part of what keeps me from just turning complete atheist and gnostic is like it wasn't i mean this is for me the, the supernatural in my life it's like i don't yeah. it wasn't it really wasn't yes i did the work and yes there were therapists that i wanted i put the magical dust on it like oh god did all the work and i didn't have no 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 no, no. but there was something supernatural about it because my background and what all the stuff I've been through, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be in a successful relationship. I should, you know, have a couple of different babies and baby mamas and drama and, you know, and and stuck in a, in a, in a rut type of relationship and stuff. And so I, again, I, I asked that just because it, one, I was curious and, and also just for listenership, because that's something that keeps popping up, you know, in regards to, Oh man, you know, I've had friends of mine you know, and mostly women, uh, friends of ours, it's both, both my wife and I that, you know, women who are single in their forties and just the same thing. I mean, you're just, you're, you're naming something that's, that's a nerve.
2: Yeah. And it, I just think, especially like in online dating, it's really hard to find decent people who are trying to do the thing in a way that's not like so exhausting. Like I'll just, I'll just tell you one story. Like I, I will tell you about how my online dating life ended.
0: <laughs> okay. That's yes
2: so i've been uh doing small online dating for several months and i'd gone on dates and people were like fine or whatever but i was just kind of bored i was like why are especially like these men of color like so boring and i'm like oh they don't have to try and i was like is this just me being judgmental right because these are like black doctors like people who are pretty well accomplished but whose personalities were just so boring mm. so i was like oh they never actually had to try or develop this thing or in their defense are so separated in a predominantly white space from their own blackness that a part of them is like siloed and locked away because of white culture and I'm sure it's pretty hard to access um I know that's true for me in some ways so I, I will give that that courtesy <laughs> um, but I went on a date with somebody and we were talking about like what we enjoy what our what we uh what our hobbies are and I asked him like oh yeah well what are you what are you into and his response was I like to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and I
0: was get like, out of here
2: and I was like, what? Like, I thought he was joking. Like, it was so, like, absurd to me. And he, like, goes on to describe, like, how he plays, like, fantasy football and, like, you know, does all this stuff. And I was like, oh, my God. Wait, what? And, I, and again, I, like, I was, like, this brother cannot be serious right now. And then he describes how he goes on a vacation to D.C., right? Chocolate City. Okay. And then talks about a Buffalo Wild Wings. He went to there, and I was like, you black in Chocolate City, and you getting wings at a Buffalo Wild Wings? <laughs> I was like, this homie could have said, like, if I, I'm like, what do you like to do? He's like, I like to eat wings. I like to hang out with my friends. I like to play fantasy football. And I'd be like, cool. But the specifics of Buffalo Wild Wings, I was like, wait, what? And so I left the <laughs> date. I went to a Hawaiian food truck. I deleted all of the apps off my phone, ate by myself and thought, wow, this is so much better than being on a date with these men. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I heard that. oh my gosh wow 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 <laughs> <Whew>. <laughs> that's buffalo wow wings now I I'm know. S- s- sitting here thinking like wow no he didn't like buffalo wow wings
2: what I know so I'm like you know for, for women out here who are like academic and accomplished and like trying to live their lives and trying to date I'm like and who feel like oh my god there's no hope I get it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah wow wow well brandy thank you again for taking the time out and this this was a great conversation um i know we covered the gamut but this was this was good i mean it uh, again, why I wanted to have you back on because I was like, all right, there's there's some stuff out there that we can we can engage with uh, anything you are working on right now that, uh, you know, working folks find you uh, all of that good stuff, you know, to bring you out, get you that honorarium, get you on the lecture circuit, you know, starting getting your five thousand dollars a speaking gig for.
2: And trying four, to be out
1: here. You know, there you go. That's right.
2: Uh, you know, the best place to find me right now is on Twitter. Um, my handle is Brandy Nico, B-R-A-N-D-I-N-I-C-O. Um, And as I leave this kind of sabbatical season, I'm going to be getting back into writing again um, and have, yeah, maybe a couple of book options on the table. And so I'm just working through what that could potentially look like moving forward. So but Twitter is the best place to find me right now. Um, Easy place to get me for work and is where I get a lot of my work at this point anyway. So
1: (laughs) I heard that. I heard that. That's what's up. Well, again thank you and thank you for the work that you're doing I mean again this was this was encouraging uh in a season at least for me that feel I feel just kind of like what what the hell what what does this all mean what the hell is going on here so this was good I,
2: I really appreciate getting to be on and getting to be friends so
1: I heard that